Um, as Ben mentioned, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Harbor Ch- or, uh, Jamestown Harbor Church. Uh, we're one of a bunch of Harbor churches that uh, get to enter into this new series this morning. But if I haven't met you before, if we haven't like uh, made an acquaintanceship, I would love to meet you after the service. If you're new here today or if you've been here a, a really long time and we should know each other's names already, uh, let's just do that today then, all right? Um, this was about 18 years ago. In uh, May of 2006, um, after five terrible weeks, uh, there was a Taylor University student, a freshman named Whitney Sirock, and she, she laid in a hospital bed, severely injured, in a coma, unable to speak, with loved ones, family members at her side, friends who comforted her and prayed continuously for her. Uh, but they weren't her real family and they were not her real friends. They were the family and friends of a different student, a student named Laura Van Ryn, who uh, was in the same year at Taylor university as Whitney was. Uh, Whitney and Laura were both involved in a, in a terrifying crash on I-69 with a semi and a van full of Taylor university students. And initially the uh, authorities had said that Whitney had died in the car accident and that Laura was critically injured and in a coma. Both girls were blonde. Both girls were the same age. Both girls had similar features. And it would later be determined after five weeks that the young woman who was bandaged up in a coma was actually Whitney, not Laura. While Laura had actually died in the crash, not Whitney. And it's a story that maybe you were around this this time, you remember this, it captured national attention as this case of mistaken identity, uh, in part because of what it obviously must have felt like to these families. Five weeks is a long time uh, with mistaken identity. It's long enough to mourn uh, the person you thought you lost. It's long enough to hold her funeral. In fact, years later, Whitney would, uh, in speaking to other people, said, um, you know, people often wonder what people would say at your funeral. I know, right? And she said, it came as a surprise to me that people thought I wasn't very good at sports. It came as a surprise to me that my sister thought I didn't shower enough. People wonder what people say at your funeral, and I know. And something about that story like strikes a nerve. And I think in part it's because of the mistaken identity of it all. Because that it challenges the sense that you have of your own identity. Who would somebody mistake me for if I were in a similar situation? What are the things that sort of create my identity? What makes you, you? And... When there's a tragedy, there are a number of different ways in which people determine identity, and obviously none of them are foolproof. But as you move through your everyday, day-to-day life, what is it that makes you, you? What defines your identity? And to me, as Melissa uh, spoke to us earlier uh, about the season of Lent, to me, that is what the season of Lent is actually for. It's about our identity. Now, Lent is this time in the church calendar. It starts on Ash Wednesday, which was this last, uh, last week, this past Wednesday. And it goes all the way up to Holy Thursday, the day before Good Friday, prior to Easter. And it's a time of preparation for uh, the death, the suffering, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And, and many people spend this particular season of Lent, this time in the church calendar, uh, with the actions of prayer and regular fasting. And it's during this experience where I believe that one is faced, a little bit at least, with that question. What is it that makes you, you? And so this season of Lent, if you take out the Sundays, uh, adds up to 40 days. 40 days is a very uh, common number in in the Bible. Uh, The season of Lent is actually rooted in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus, who I believe is facing these exact same questions. Jesus, what makes you, you? Mark actually begins the story like this in Mark chapter 1. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness... And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. So now let me give you a little background on what this might have meant to someone who was reading the gospel or hearing the story in Jesus' time. Uh, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness echo a lot of things in the Old Testament that feel very similar. Uh, For example, the the great flood of Noah, where it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai before God gave him the law on the tablets. Uh, Even before Moses led the people out of Israel, he spent 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness before God called him. And now, essentially, 40 days and 40 nights is in, the, in the Bible, 40 is, means more than just, you know, four tens. It's more than just a number. It means something. And to them, it means a really long time. So if you are a writer and you're trying to communicate, boy, something was going on for a really long time, you might say it was like 40 years or 40 days or 40 days and nights. But the, the time Jesus spends out in the wilderness most, most specifically reflects the Israelite people, their own time in the wilderness. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the desert as a time of testing, trial, and purification of their people before God moved them out of Egypt into the promised land. 40 years. Joshua writes about it like this. He says, Now the Israelites had wandered 40 years in the desert until all the warriors among the people that came forth from Egypt died off because they had not obeyed the command of the Lord. The 40 years in the desert of the Israelites was a foundational experience for these people. It was a foundational season in the memories of these people for generations And not just because it was extreme, right? Not simply because it was a really long time. This wasn't just like a story that grandpa and grandma passed down uh, to their kids and to their grandkids and their great-grandkids because there was this great camping trip that went really wrong, right? That's not the reason it sticks in their memories. 40 years in the desert was important to God's people because of what it did to their identity, because of what it did to who they were as a people. You have to understand, identity of this group of people, for 430 years, their identity was slavery. Their identity was oppression. That we are under the thumb of an Egyptian ruler. And for 430 years, generation after generation after generation, they only ever saw themselves 
as someone else's property, as someone else's servant. These weren't people, they were tools. They were tools for an empire to use or discard however they saw fit. That was their identity for 430 years. Now, just put this in context. Think about the United States of America, particularly even on a global stage. Do we as Americans have an identity? If we walk over into, or if we go over to Europe and walk around, will people spot us as Americans? America as a nation is about 250 years old, right? Add another 200 years of that, and now we're talking about what it was like for these Israelite people and how deeply rooted their identity was in their time as slaves in Egypt. And the text indicates that during this journey out of Egypt to the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness, that God's people complained (laughs) that God's people disobeyed him. They looked for other ways to, to, to take shortcuts and to worship other gods. And it is true that the text does indicate, as Joshua just said, that there is some sense of punishment here, right? That the leaving of Egypt, we got to let that whole other generation die off before we can bring you into the promised land. But here's what I want to say about that experience is that I don't think the desert wandering for the Israelite people is simply about punishment. I don't think God was interested simply in just punishing his people. Because God is not simply interested in punishment. God is interested in creation. That is the God of the Bible. He's interested in creating. He's interested in creating people and forging their identity. And he spent that time in the desert helping his people let go of a former identity and rebuilding something new. And so, yeah, in some ways it makes sense. Some people are never going to grasp onto this new identity because it's so rooted in who they are that we need to see that generation pass before the new identity takes hold. In Deuteronomy, God specifically tells his people, remember that time in the desert. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is what God's command to them is. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, So the Lord, your God, disciplines you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. So this is why I say that the desert experience for God's people wasn't just about punishment. But he uses that word discipline. When I discipline my children, I don't do so because I want them to pay a price for what they have done. I discipline my children because I want, the, I want to shape them who they are going to become as adults. 
I want them to learn that when you make these choices, uh, when you go in this direction, when you carry this attitude or this identity, it's only going to lead you to a place of pain. And I actually don't want that for you, my son. I love you. I want you to become someone else. That's the desert experience for God's people. As a father disciplines his son, so God disciplines his people. He shapes them. He uses the desert as a way to teach them who they really are. And as they get to the end, God says, remember the desert. Remember what we did there. Remember what happened. Remember, remember, remember. Because it is a season in your people's lives that when you let go of your identity, this false identity as slaves, you are reminded of who you really were, a people who God dearly loves. And how would you do that if you were God? If you were God and you were raising children who had this identity that they'd been hanging on to of, of this slavery, how would you change that? If you wanted to radically shift the way they understood themselves, The way God did it was he started taking away all of the things that they relied on. Taking away all of the things that they thought that they needed in order to realize where it all comes from. You think you need food? Well, God's going to take that away from you in the desert, but he's going to make bread fall from heaven on earth for you. Think you need water? Well, we're going to take you out into the wilderness in the desert where there isn't much water, but he's going to make water spring out from a rock when Moses hits it with his staff for you. You need clothing? Well, God's going to make sure that you don't have to stop at the, at the old Navy on your way out of Egypt. Your clothes actually aren't going to wear out for 40 years. When you take away all the things that you rely on, you finally see where those things come from and that it was God himself that they needed to rely on. You start to realize when you lose all these things that you think you need, you start to realize that you are actually not the most important part of your own identity. He is. And so in this Lenten season, we remember When Jesus himself went out into the desert for 40 days, when Jesus himself practiced the text in Deuteronomy, because as Jesus was beginning his own ministry uh, in the gospels, he practiced reminding himself about his own identity too. Now, you know, Jesus has this dual nature, right? He's 100% God, but 100% human. We don't know how that adds up. We just know it's true. And most of us think about Jesus in the 100% God category. Of course, he knows everything. He does everything. He tells the winds and the waves to be quiet, and they do. But we forget Jesus was 100% human. Which means Jesus also needed to be reminded of who he was. And he went out in the desert to practice this reminder. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. He quotes the Deuteronomy passage. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Now, when Deuteronomy and when Jesus talks about living not on bread alone, but on every word from God's mouth, he's not simply speaking about the Bible as the word. He's talking about the identity that God speaks over him. So he's like, I'm reminding myself who I am and where that comes from. Now, put your, let's put yourself in Jesus' shoes, sandals for the moment, right? Jesus is out there in the Judean wilderness. We have a picture of kind of what that might look like. Um, looks something like this. Uh, the Judean wilderness is not a sandy desert. It's not sand dunes, right? It is a barren, rocky, arid, dry place. It's really hot during the day. It's really cold at night. Things don't grow out here. But the defining characteristic of this image, of this place, of this wilderness, is rocks. It is the defining characteristic of this landscape. So, on one hand, you have Satan tempting Jesus with hunger. Man, you've been out here a really long time. I bet you're hungry. If you could turn one of these rocks into bread, I bet you that would feel really, really good. He's also tempting Jesus with something else. Because if he's tempting Jesus to turn all the stones he can see into bread, that's a lot of bread. Henry Henry Nouwen, an author, uh, calls this temptation of Jesus the temptation for Jesus to be relevant. And here's what he means by that. That if Jesus could turn all these stones into bread, imagine how popular he would be with the people in his community. He could feed everyone. People would come from miles around to be near this guy because he could take care of them. He could feed them. There would be more bread than people had ever seen if he turned all of those stones into bread. The bread is not just a story about food. It's a story about relevance. Jesus, if you could turn this all into bread, you would be the most important person in the world. You would matter so much to these people that they would rely on you for everything. Not only that, but you would learn that you could also rely on yourself for everything. And that's the temptation he's working with. If he did that, Jesus would never have to answer the question that so many of us answer all the time. Do I matter? What is it that makes us, us? What makes us matter in the world that we live in? What makes us relevant? The devil is tempting Jesus to recognize that what makes him matter, what makes him relevant is himself. You can do this, Jesus. You can do this. But Jesus recognizes that who he is actually doesn't come from himself. It comes from every word the father speaks about him. His identity is spoken to him over uh, out of the mouth of God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, whether or not he turns stones into bread. And part of the Lent experience for us as people, I think drills down into asking us to go without. It's what fasting is. It's to go without And I think it's so much deeper than, it's not a diet plan, just go without chocolate. It's not a habit plan, let's just go without screens, right? But go without the things I think shape my identity. Go without the things that make me matter. 
I am the person that does things the right way. I do everything well. I am the person that always helps other people, that serves them without complaining. I am the person that is unique, that stands out as an individual. I'm not like everybody else. I am the person who will fight for what I believe is right and stand up for those who can't. I am the person that just everyone wants to be around. What happens if we start crossing out all of the things on our list that we think makes us us? What if I go without the things I think make me me? If I did that, what would I be left with? And Jesus answers the devil about his identity, not about his hunger. My bread is the word of the Lord. What makes me matter is what comes from God's voice. What he says about me is what defines me. I don't look to myself for that. I don't rely on myself for that. And so God tells his people, remember the desert. Remember when you wandered in, those, uh, in, those, in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember when your shoes didn't wear out and your feet didn't, uh, didn't swell. Remember when you didn't have any food and I fed you anyway. He tells his people to remember the times you went without. Not as like some cautionary tale about simple obedience, but as a way to point them back to who they really are to point them to the formation of their identity as God's dearly, dearly loved children. He also says this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Remember, remember, remember. It's always telling them to remember. This particular piece of scripture is known as the Shema. And the Hebrew people recite it every day, twice a day, as a reminder to love God with all of their heart. Not to have a divided heart where I rely on myself for some pieces of my identity and and I rely on God for other pieces of it. No, it all has to come from him. Remind yourself, write it on your door frames. Tie it around your wrist so you remember this all the time. We've named this series, The Art of Letting Go, because uh, it is important to practice, not just during Lent, but every single day that, we practice remembering of what it means to go without. And when we practice going without, we find that we are left with the only true thing our identity comes from, our Father. And in fact, later on, Jesus teaches us to pray. And he teaches us to pray in this, using the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and many think the Lord's Prayer is this commentary on the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness that Jesus essentially reveals in the prayer how he uh, dealt with those temptations that have taken down so many other people. 
that when he says, this is how you should pray, he's reminding us, this is how you live into your identity. And this is what he says in Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You hear it in his prayer? Your will be done, Father in heaven. Your kingdom come, Father in heaven. My bread, my identity, every single day it comes from you, not from me. That's what Lent gets to do with us. It asks us about our identity. When we go without, it teaches us again and again and again who we really are and whose we really are. And here's the thing about preaching this kind of sermon is I actually could keep talking about this a lot and I would end up just going in circles because I can describe to you this reality all I want, but it actually doesn't matter. It won't truly take hold unless you practice it. That's what I love about the Christian faith, that the Christian faith is not simply some like intellectual experience. That our faith is not simply defined by our ability to think the right way or, or, or uh, hold the correct dogma or say the right things. The Christian faith is not simply an intellectual exercise. It is a lived experience. Let me just say that again. Our Christian faith is not an intellectual exercise. It is a lived experience. And during Lent, we're going to focus on living this experience. And that's where the fasting comes in. They go to the desert to live without. They practice the art of letting go of the things that keep me from my true identity. And that's what we get to practice. Now, if you want to go out to the desert for 40 days, that's up to you. It's cold out this weekend, so maybe it'll work. But instead, we're going to talk about how do you practice this every single day. Um, and in fact, if you came in today, you might see that we, we have this, these, well, these handouts, bookmarks perhaps, uh, for the next six weeks during this Lenten series that we call The Art of Letting Go. And you can have one today if you want one. Uh, but basically, it's simple guidance every single week on daily practices during this time of Lent. So every single week, we're like, hey, here's some suggestions for how you can live this faith, experience this faith in your daily life based on these sort of topics we'll be talking about throughout the series. Um, I'll also share them on the screen. Barb, if you want to throw that up on the screen, maybe you just want to take a picture uh, of that as well. And you can say, hey, here's uh, some ways in which we can practice in our daily life. First and foremost, this week, spend some time in that Deuteronomy passage. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 20. Read it every day. And then every, different, every day you have a different way of going without. Whether it's food, whether it's snacks, right? Whether it's uh, 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 what you drink. Kim already argued with me on the coffee one. So as I, I'll tell you what I told her, that is between you and the Lord, okay? <laughs> but the whole idea of this is that we become people who practice going without because when we go without, we find out who we really are. There isn't anything magic about what we're practicing here, about letting go of necessity. It is just the practice. We take for granted 
that we need God more than we need our bread. But the temptation is to hang on to what we think we need to be ourselves. So if that's the temptation, then the invitation is to let go. To let go of the things we think we need to be ourselves. Because God has something more for us if we would seek him with our full hearts. And so today I want to close just with reading a a scripture from Hosea. You've got some tools to help you practice this. We're going to talk about uh, this approach to our faith every single week in the series. But I want to close with some scripture from Hosea. Now, the book of Hosea focuses on, on God's disappointment with his people and their worship of other gods. And, and rather than himself, like this is my chosen people and they're kind of worshiping other gods and finding their identity in other places. And he spends much of the book uh, metaphorically comparing Israel's abandonment of him to uh, a woman being unfaithful to her husband. So the whole book is rich with this relational marital language. And in chapter two, uh, God reminds us about what the desert is for what those times of going without do in the relationship between God and his people. And this is what he says. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. For a God who spent so much time telling his people, remember the desert, remember the desert, remember the desert. This is how he views the desert. These were not days of punishment. These were days in which I spoke tenderly to you. These are days where we fell in love with each other. These were the days that God married his people. To God, in this metaphor of a marriage, these were the most romantic, most in love moments of the relationship. And so when we practice the desert, when we practice the art of letting go, we find out that there is a loving reminder of who we truly, truly are. And that is what I hope for you as the church, as God's chosen people, that you find out just how deep the Father's love is for you. And that when you practice letting go of what you rely on, you find out who you really are that you can leave whatever your Egypt is, your past identity is, the things that you had been told this is who you are, uh, the things that you believed about yourself, and that you go into the desert, you practice letting go of all of those things, and you find a father who speaks tenderly to you. You find a spouse who falls in love with you and marries you. You find a God who believes in you and loves you no matter what. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm grateful today that you present us with this reminder of your love. And God, I also uh, confess and regret that the ways in which we can understand that are through letting go of these other things that we hold on to. God, we hold on to so many things that define us, uh, that we carry with us, that, that we hold on to, God. And it is very, very difficult for us as human beings 
to truly love you with all of our heart. So God, I pray for us in the season of Lent. I pray that we may be people who let go of what we think we need, that we may be people who let go of our Egypt identity, that we may embrace the desert because you have something new for us there. God, as you lead us out of our old identity, would you rebuild in us something new, something true and something amazing? Lord, I am grateful that we don't go into the deserts alone, that we go as your people. Thank you for the gift uh, of letting go of what we were and holding on to what you say we are. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.